Fashion is what you wear to express yourself. Let me play my part. Check to hate. Like, is that real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like, I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. You helpless know, little girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless because the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to like create change. episodes are going to keep surprising me because I'll, you know, I'll have someone on the show and I'll think, okay, this week it's a combat vet and I have some idea what he's going to say. This week it's a fashion designer and I have some idea what she's going to say. But it's not. I didn't know you started making your own clothes because nothing fucking was going to work for you. And then you just created your own reality because you needed it. Like, I get surprised in every single interview and sometimes, like, deeply humbled by people's resilience and what people can come back from. You know, I feel like a lot of people have these assumptions about different creatives and they think it's this very two-dimensional thing. Like, that person paints, that person makes pots, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's always a lot deeper than everyone thinks. Wow. And, you know, the, the first time I saw fashion as what it is, instead of just like, sewing is interesting, I was like, oh, fashion. Hmm. I had no idea, because fashion and clothing are very different. Like, clothing is what you wear to not get arrested for indecent exposure. <laughs> fashion is what you wear to express yourself. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's the first words out of your mouth without opening your mouth. That's fascinating. Like, I love it's, that. It's your language. Well, and what's my language if I'm wearing two sets of track pants at the same time? You're really cold, and you want to be comfortable. <laughs> and you also, you it. extra you don't want to be arrested. You're a fucking failure. <laughs> And you shouldn't be dressing yourself. No, no, no. Again, fashion and clothing are different, and clothing is a necessity, and fashion is... I want to exert, you know, exude this thing before people hear me. And That's amazing. Like, I, I've always, like I said, I was raised in an all-white town, and people had these assumptions about me because I was black, and then when I got into goth fashion, I was like, at least they're going to be making fun of me for something that I can help instead of something that I can't. Because I'm always going to be black, but dressing this way is a choice. And I've just always liked being a spooky kid. I like, I like the spooky aesthetic. I, I think it's... And I had, straight up, a normal girl phase what? when I was 30. What? I was like, I'm going to dabble in being a normal girl. And I was like, I mean, I look real cute, but I feel like this is a costume. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was cosplay. It was. 100%. Just normal girl cosplay. It's fine. Um, so <laughs> just, I mean, being the, the spooky kid it makes me feel comfortable and I really like it, but I'm also fancy. And I feel like the fact that I don't have a, a casual setting, like this is me being casual and this is still like to most people, not a casual setting. Yeah. And that's language. It's that person dresses this way for a reason. What is she trying to tell me before she tells me? Um, where was I? Uh, fashion. 
So, Creativity. Yes. Uh, so when I got into fashion, uh, I was in middle school, and I remember watching the fashion shows after my um, after cartoons. My brother and I would watch cartoons, and then he and my dad would go to karate, and I would just sit and watch um, FT and video fashion. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what is this? This is amazing. I love it. And so I started sketching, because I've wanted to be an artist since I was four. Yeah. And so I started sketching. Do you have to be able to draw to be no. a fashion designer? Because they have really. those little sketches. I mean, you have to be able to... If you are not the one who's doing the sewing and pattern making, you have to be able to tell them what you want made. Specifically. Yeah. So, like, most people will trust someone who can sew before someone who can draw. Really? Yeah. Because if you know how to sew, you at least know how something is constructed. You know how to make a thing. But if you, know, if you draw and you're like, that's not how bodies work, like, it doesn't, it can't translate. So mm -hmm. you should at least know a little bit of construction before you know a lot about drawing. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but the first time I saw Alexander McQueen was when I realized that fashion is art. And he's really what made me specifically want to go into fashion. And like he had these very you know gothic ideas about, um, about fashion. It was a lot of dark stuff, a lot of like, you could, there was a lot of feeling in his art. And um, the, I had seen his shows before, but there was one, uh, La Poupée, and that was, they'd filled a church, the um, aisle with water, so it looked like the models were walking on water. Wow. And he had all of these like weird rigs, and models were having trouble walking, and it was, it was very like, it felt off. And so a lot of people said that it was this, you know, anti-woman collection. And I was like, I don't see that because I'm seeing the whole thing as a sculpture. The whole thing is this living, breathing piece of art. And the idea that you're seeing that some of these outfits have, you know, bare chests or some of these pieces have these, like, pieces of metal, that's you projecting. Hmm there's beauty in this disjointed kind of antithesis of what's conventionally beautiful. And the piece that really got me was, um, it was a woman, hold on, let me see if I can, okay, here we go. So it's a woman uh, with tattoo. pink pants uh -huh. and kind of these belts and this like blunt haircut and this, this, structure that looks like an upside down faceted like jewelry diamond filled with live butterflies what and as she's walking down the runway she's interacting with these butterflies because they're all around her face yeah they're just everywhere and she's just like gently interacting with them and they're gently interacting with her and in this like industrial thing where everyone's like this is ugly this is gross i was like this is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen in my life so they call the anti-woman and you tattooed it on yourself I thought it was beautiful. That's amazing. And I was probably 16 when that came out. And I was like, this is what I want to do with my life is help people tell something. I want to make a message. And I feel like I have. You tell stories with your work? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially it ego. The depression like, one. This, this collection, when I explained it on my um, audition episode, this dance company contacted me and said we were so moved by your art that we want to make a dance like a whole show centered on your collection 
And that's what that is over there, that framed oh, cool. thing. They did this. Oh, id ego. I've been trying uh. to think what you're saying. Id dot ego. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. But it was so beautiful. And they, they created different dances based on different things. And I think the one that... So there was one that was about um, two Asian adoptees and how they have felt othered and just their separate yet parallel journeys hmm. in the U.S. It was like, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. They had these video projections and, you know, showed their, their pictures of their upbringings and like, it was so good. And then there was one about toxic masculinity and it was so beautiful. And it just ended with these, with the male dancers just like hugging and crying. And it was something that I don't think would have been made even 10 years ago. Yeah. And the fact that something I did inspired them to make what they did is very humbling. Mm. So, like, I want to inspire people as much as other artists have inspired me. Yeah. That's what anyone wants. Absolutely. So one of the themes, I didn't even bring it up with you, and it came up on its own. Uh, one of the themes of the podcast, because like I said, we go to the dark places, but then I want it to be uplifting at the end is art as a healer. We mm -hmm. talked about nature as a healer. Mm -hmm. We talked about our favorite state parks. Um, you've talked about how your work heals other people, makes them feel enough, makes them not hate themselves in the mirror. Um, what has being creative for a living done for you? So weirdly, in all the interviews I did for It Ego, I talked about how it was my therapy collection. It was the first collection I did that really just allowed me to be unapologetically myself. And it laid myself bare in a way I never had so that I could do the work to build myself back up. And, you know, after I did this collection, I tried to do another one that was like, all right, well, I'm going to do some stuff to cheer myself up. And it was very um, surface. Like, I, mm. I really like this, this cartoon series, Avatar The Last Airbender. And um, I pretty much just watched it as I as I stopped crying every day for no reason, I was just watching it all the time to try and cheer myself up. And I was like, you know, I really want to do this collection. This will be nice. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think on the surface, that's where I wanted to go. But in my heart, I wasn't ready to let go of the hard part. So I did that collection, made some art. I, I mean, it mostly was just, I'm going to make this collection. I'm going to team up with a couple of other artists that I really appreciate. We did this really beautiful photo shoot that, like, I just needed to make art. Mm. And one of the things I really love about fashion is sometimes you can team up with amazing photographers and videographers and just all create this beautiful thing. And so I am, I am happy and grateful that I got to create this beautiful photo series with this photographer, Alex Butterfield, who I just absolutely adore we made amazing art. Yeah. But I needed to go back to the dark place. And I made this collection last year called Vanitas. And it's, um, it's inspired by Vanitas paintings, which are the Dutch paintings in the memori, uh, Memento Mori tradition, which is, uh, remember, you will die. And it's not, it wasn't meant to be like, I feel suicidal, because I, I never have. Yeah. It's, you are immortal. And you have to remember that there is this life that you live and eventually it ends. So the Vanitas paintings were um, something that represents life and something that represents death and the duality of the two. So it would be like a really beautiful bouquet of flowers and a beautiful mound of fruit where when you look up close, you see that there might be snails on it or mold parts 
to show that it's decaying. It's transforming. But it's still beautiful. <clears throat> and like somebody had gone hunting. So there was like a hanging pheasant and a rabbit and um, like some beautiful food. And I wanted to create this kind of like beauty and decomposition. Um, and I also reference Persephone in it because Persephone, you know, she she's the harbinger of spring. She brings life. And then she also brings the death of life, which is winter. When she leaves, she goes to the, you know, the person who took her and then they actually liked each other. So she's like, yeah, being married's cool. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to him. But, you know, in, in order to have life, you need to have death. And so it's a very organic collection. Um, if you can look over there, there's all that beadwork. That's supposed to represent the half section of a pomegranate, which is this beautiful thing that signifies life. And when you get up close, you can tell everything is fraying. Wow. It's all kind of falling apart. Yeah. And I felt so good when I made that collection. I was like, oh, this is the hardest collection I've ever made. And it's art all on its own. Yeah. So then I was like, all right, what am I going to do next? Okay, I got to sit on it. Wow. <laughs> I'm just going to like live my life. And so I did all these things. I didn't make a collection for a season. And then this collection, Ars Moriendi, is the, um, the ready-to-wear sequel of Vanitas. So all this sheer stuff. It's supposed to show the body and how beautiful the body is, regardless of what size it is. So I had models from size 4 all the way up to um, size 16. And all of them... You could see skin everywhere, and it sh was beautiful. All of it was beautiful. Um, Ars Moriendi is the Latin texts that are uh, the beautiful death. And so, again, it's part of the same tradition. And it shows the kind of the beautiful decadence of decay, the bruised palate. When, a, you know, when a, an orange is starting to decay, it's got this beautiful bruised palate. And it's still sustenance for something. It's still sustenance for the bugs. It's sustenance for the mold. Mm -hmm. So even though something is going away, something else is thriving. So I think I just really needed to kind of like work through these sort of dark ideas and realize that it's not bad mm -hmm. and that those things don't mean that I'm overtaken by depression. Like I, I have, I still have, you know, some stuff going on, but I feel good. Better, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I thought that I'd only been dealing with this for a couple of years and I got a reminder on Facebook, you know, memories. And I was like, hey, cool. Cool. thanks, Facebook memories. How do you turn that off? I don't know. Facebook? But it's a listen jerk. Listen closely. Fuck <laughs> off. I think about my memories. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, I can't I, even imagine. Like, what a fuck, fuck, fuck year it is. Uh, she died in 2015. Mm -hmm. And I often, like, just so tuned out to time. Like I said earlier, I'm trying not to think in years, but, like, thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So I often am like, what year is it? Yep. Little, no, and totally. I'm not joking at all. No, it feels like I've and only like, been dealing with this. Three years ago, you had a funeral. Wee! I'm like, fuck you. I, I feel like I've only up. been dealing with this since the year before <sighs> runway, but I've been dealing with this for almost seven years. And I didn't realize it because <laughs> it's like it, it both feels like it's been going on forever and has only been a drop in the bucket. <laughs> like, <laughs> It does. It, well, that fucks up your relationship with time too, mental illness. A hundred percent. But I... I feel like it's okay to be fucked up yeah. and still feel good. Does that make sense? It depends how you're dealing with it, you yeah, know? If, like, as long as there's nothing self-destructive. Oh, no. Yeah. No. I, I'm doing what needs to be done 
I can still do more, but I'm not beating myself up. I think that's another thing is like standards of happiness in the U.S. are unrealistic. We talk about standards of beauty, but we don't talk about standards of mood. Um, mood standards to me are just like, it makes us act th that fake way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like we're so obsessed with happiness in ways that other cultures aren't. Um, that there's a lot of people who have been taught to chase happiness and materialism and all these different things. 100%. To chase it like it's a goal, not yep. to just be grateful when it happens on its own. And then they're 30, 40 years old, and they're like, where's the purpose? Where's the meaning? I feel totally empty. It's because you've been living for yourself all this time. And if you, if you had a deeper, higher purpose, and you can deal with that fact every morning that one day you won't open your eyes and be okay with that, you know, then you I, might feel different. I try to tell people, like, you know, have the experience, whatever, like, even with my husband, I'm just like, you know, let's do the thing, because we don't want to be, you know, 90 years old on our deathbed going, we sure did pay all those bills. <laughs> Instead of, oh my god, remember that time we went to Wizarding World? We had so much fun being wizards. Like, <laughs> you, you guys are a hoot. <laughs> it was so much fun. You don't even have to dress up, you could just go in what you have uh, on now. I mean, fair. I am wearing... <laughs> I am wearing my fashion witch pin today. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I'm trying not to beat myself up for not being put back together all the way. If mm. that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, that's really all you can do to try and get yourself on the right track to healing is don't beat yourself up for not being all the way fixed. Be cool with where you're at and be ready to take the next small step forward. Yep. And you can't take that next small st step forward if you hate yourself for where you are now. I, mean, I really believe that. The last almost two <clears throat> years, I have been, I mean, really just saying like, am I a hypocrite for not being okay yet? Am I a hypocrite for feeling these things? Am I a hypocrite for telling people they should be okay with themselves when I'm not okay with myself? And once I realized like it actually took my my support system my friends like the people closest to me to be like you're not and here's why i was like no that's stupid why why am i being so hard on myself this is ridiculous mm -hmm. I, I would not be able to get to that place if it wasn't for them like my friends my family you know my my very closest friend, you know chosen family I would not even be close to where I am right now if it wasn't for them and their support and how much they love me for me. Yeah. And that, that I'm enough too. Not for who you're supposed to be. Exactly. And I, I can tell people that they're enough. I got to tell myself I'm enough too. You have to model, model the behavior that you want to put out into the world, right? It's true. As, as difficult as it can be. That's true. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough thing in my position is... is yeah, I find that extremely profound and not really easy to grasp. Yeah. To just tell people, hey, you know, you'll heal, you'll get better, you'll get this. But, like, I'm, no matter how far along I come with, you know, depression and everything myself, she's, like, she's still not there on the right in the morning. She's still not there on my right at night. And I don't have to pause to get through doorways. I just walk through. Like, I don't know what you and your husband are like physically as far as like in public but we were just attached at the hip and we'd like squish through doorways <laughs> and just and I would always she was tiny and I would always go you take up so much space and she would just <laughs> she was like no you know she was just the tiniest little one and uh and we would just have all these things that we would giggle about all day and just always like having some kind of physical contact you know I mean if it's incidental you're just brushing yeah. up your shoulder and 
man, when that goes away, you're, you feel it every day. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we lived apart for two years, and it was really hard um, because when, I think it was, like, when I was my heaviest, we were both so codependent. <laughs> really? <laughs> that it got to the point where it was, like, it was a little unhealthy. Um, and so then the, the, like, it was the height of the recession, and you know, he lost his job and went back to school and all this stuff. He had finished his certificate. And then he was like, I really want to get my bachelor's. And so he lived three hours away for two years. Oh, that was hard. Yeah. Um, it was a weird kind of hard reset for us, but it also made us really appreciate both our independence and how much we loved being around each other. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, hey, can we reschedule for earlier? Yeah. Because we haven't spent time date together night. in two weeks. Where are you guys going tonight? We're gonna am, see I, am I on top of your date night now? What time is it? Uh, uh, fuck, let me check in one of my track pants. <laughs> 6.50, we're way over. All right, well, we'll Ten have more to... Minutes? Yeah, deal. Because okay. um, we're going to go see <laughs> Detective Pikachu tonight. What? <laughs> The last time we had a date was to see Endgame, which was two weeks ago. Like, yeah. you know, we've got completely opposite schedules, which sucks. Like, this is the most we haven't really been around each other since he went back to get his bachelor's. Yeah. And, like, we just miss each other. <laughs> well, you talked a little bit about, you made a, a small comment about you watched some program on to toxic masculinity. Mm. Um, oh, it was the dance. Yeah, how yeah. do you feel like it's been... Um, getting better maybe for guys or for guys to even be a support network for a woman who's struggling with depression like so what's really interesting about Ryan is his upbringing was um anytime he had feelings it was kind of shoved away yeah and his sisters were kind of encouraged to and so he was um a very angry person he was always really sweet to me like he's always just been a very sweet person but he's always had a lot of anger towards outside things and I feel like society and me and my family have really encouraged him and celebrated him becoming softer. Mm. So he's still, you know, quote unquote masculine, like very masculine, but he's so nurturing and sweet and gentle and kind. And I feel like if society wasn't this way now, that would not be so celebrated and mm. he would probably be struggling. But you know, every every year he's a completely different and, you know, more um, connected to himself person than he was the year before. And he has been my cheerleader in all of this. And I've always been his cheerleader in his stuff now mm -hmm. that he's finally recognizing a lot of it. And Is he going to make us cut this out? Um, I don't think so. Okay. No. I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying vague. Yeah. But he's... Um, He's got his own stuff to deal with, and I've just always really tried to support him and let him know that he can open up about it and just be okay with it and know that he's not less than for it, and mm. he's been that for me. It's been really great, yeah. and I feel like if I didn't have such a supportive partner, it'd be even harder. <laughs> yeah. But... Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. He's amazing. Amazing, and just... He's just oh, great. are you gonna tear up? Look at no, you! He's so cute. Like we wanna, you know, we wanna be parents, and I think that we're just gonna be pretty good parents. And yeah, I don't think I would want to be parents with another person. You know, you're you as well. That's a good thing if you're married to him. 
you, uh, <laughs> I like you, but you're not going to be the father of my children. I mean, look, <laughs> I'm just going to hire a kid. Does that work for you? I think there's a lot of, okay, so I might have just invented an industry. I think there are a lot of people who love someone, but they shouldn't have kids with that person. They should find someone responsible. You're just my hired dad of my kids. <laughs> this is the one I like. Bad teeth and a record motorcycle. But he ain't going to father my kids. Did I just come up with something? Maybe. So, on that note, <laughs> can you give the good people at home um, a few good reasons to support the Kelly Nicole Foundation? I mean, I think one of the reasons why I like the foundation is it's just earnest. Like, it's, it's earnest, it's honest, it's... It doesn't feel like it's the kind of foundation that's done to make the people running it feel good about themselves. Does that make sense? It'll like never a lot happen. of a I'm lot of <laughs> a lot of charities I feel like are started because they're like, if I do this, people will think I'm a good person. I was warned about that. Yeah. Something really interesting. So right after she passed, well, once I was ready to work, which was ages, I sat in the corner for a long time. Uh, once I was ready to re-enter the workforce, um, I went for a nonprofit and I tried and tried and interviewed all over the place and, and it didn't work out. I went back to where I have a long resume and can get in anywhere and make a good living and stuff. So I fell back to that again. But some friend of mine was like, thank God you dodged a bullet. I was like, what? She goes, so many God complexes. There's very, very few charities that I work with because, and I, it's because I know the people who run them. So, like, the Civil Society, they help victims of human trafficking. Uh, the Wayne Foundation helps child victims of human trafficking. Those and, are here? Uh, one is here. Wayne Foundation is in Florida, and they created a drop-in center. I think it's the first of its kind, a drop-in center for kids who have gotten out of human trafficking. And it's because the woman who started the foundation was a victim of human trafficking, in, I think, at the age of 14. And so she's got a stake in the game. And I feel like people who have a stake in the game are the ones that create these charities that do a lot of good. Mm -hmm. And they, they have the transparency and you, you know you can trust them. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'm hoping is that as people listen to this podcast, um, that it makes them want to get the album, check out the documentary, mm -hmm. share it with a friend who's struggling, um, share it with someone who doesn't give a fuck about mental illness, and be like, hey, you should know what this is about, well, even and just if, get if, into it. If it's a way to say, you know, kind of start the conversation even about themselves, yeah. like, hey, this is what I've been going through, and now yeah. I can finally tell you through someone else's words. Mm -hmm. Like, I've never had the words to say it before. Here it is. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, you talked about what you wear being a language and saying something about yourself whenever people um wear their kelly nicole merch they tell me that they feel just a little more confident they got a little bit of that swagger they wore it to the women's march more than one oh, person awesome. wore kelly nicole merch to the women's well, it's march. tough looking it's badass yeah so i just hope that people are able to jump online check out kellynicole.com get some merchandise help us drive our mission forward and keep talking to awesome people like samantha because these conversations have to get out of the corner out of the quiet hallways and into the world. It into can't be a secret ears. anymore. It can't be a secret. And if, if you, like that person said to me, when are you going to stop hating yourself for living? Mm -hmm. That's a really tough question. Well, I hope that you're closer to it. Well, you know, it didn't take long. You're, you're going to see Pikachu. I'm in a good mood now. Yay. It was all about Pikachu. So you should go see Pikachu too. <laughs> it looks so cute. <laughs> okay, one, one tangent before, before we go. Hey, what's up? 
my brother sent me this thing, and it was uh, it was a headline of a story. Um, Justice Smith, who's the the kid who plays like the main character, he was so obsessed with how cute the Pokemon looked because they all look hyper realistic that he forgot he was in the movie. <laughs> That's so wholesome. Oh my gosh, that is too cute. It's I love it so much. I just, I love wholesome, pure things like that. Just yeah. like, everybody, go watch some freaking dog videos on the internet. Like, just <laughs> just do it. Just That is so funny. Go pet someone's dog. Go, I don't know. Adapt someone's dog. I mean, it was going to happen. Yeah, probably. All right, dude. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, it was Ooh. great. So All much right. fun. Thanks for having me. For sure. Peace out. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movie. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is from Amplified!